you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, and that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. The Around the NFL Podcast. It's loose on one Tito's and Soda. Four, welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Coming to you from a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Wild Card Weekend is here. How exciting. How exciting. You guys look pumped. I am pumped. We've had a big day. 28 weeks this NFL season is. We're in week 24. These are the best. The best five, aren't they? It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> I would say another reason to be excited is, and I st- I don't agree with the decision. They did. They made the decision upstairs to give us a TV show, and we've been waiting for a long time for that. Mm. I can't believe it. You don't agree with the decision. Yeah, I don't know if it's the right move by them, but they made the move. Rock Osweiler clearly doesn't uh, agree. (laughs) They gave us a show, the Around the NFL podcast, the Around the NFL broadcast. It premieres Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. uh, Re-airs a a bunch of times leading up to uh, playoff action, and it will air every Friday or premiere every Friday uh, for the next three weeks starting this week. We're very excited about it. We've been doing a lot of work this week, both in prep and doing some shooting. Ricky's stretching out her director legs, um, and uh, it's exciting. We're very much like the, an NBA player on a 10-day contract. You know, we have, we're trying to make it through these three weeks. Will they resign us for next year? Like, that's, that's the pressure. For significantly less money, but I, I heard um, from a – little birdie that what flipped the switch was that the people upstairs, these guys floating around in their cream colored Corvettes on the weekends, that they caught wind that we uh, were actually named the best new podcast on iTunes in 2012. When they heard that, they, <laughs> Finally. Said, they said, this has to be something that so, we put on the air and show. And there is, visually. there is some, some chatter. Amongst- I haven't heard from iTunes since. Where are they at? <laughs> I don't know. We, they, you know, they got... There has been some chatter, Wes, out there in the streets, streets talking, both on the ATN subreddit and a couple tweets I've gotten and maybe some Instagram comments. Some fans, some of the greatest fans of our show, the biggest fans of our show, don't want the TV show to be successful because in what te- typically happens in 
our industry <laughs> is the people that become the TV people drop the podcast. No. Now, let's speak to that, Wes. That's a legitimate concern. Oh, no, that's not the right answer. <laughs> Anytime I've been a fan of anything, I've had similar concerns. But, I, I mean, I've given a lot of thought to this. Like, if, if my entire persona on this podcast is to watch Game Pass during the season and report back with findings, just wait till we're on TV and then somebody's handing me a research packet before we go on air because I don't have time to watch games anymore. Mm, I don't know what that answer was, <laughs> but uh, we're doing the podcast as much as we've always done it, all, no matter what. That's always going to be... Way to the calm the public fears, if, Wes. If, if anything, They're legitimate. If anything falls off, it'll be our writing. So, you know. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that is currently happening. So Good riddance. You know. In the tank. Yeah. All right. <laughs> The Around the NFL broadcast. We're so excited. Nobody reads anymore, Greg. What's the big deal? All right. Wild card weekend. It's a good thing we're not celebrating our success before it happens, by the way. <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't count our chickens, as they say. All right, so we're, this is what we're going to do today. Uh, pretty straightforward, actually. We're going to dig into all four games of Wild Card Weekend. We'll start uh, with the Saturday games, which are the AFC games. We'll have a special guest involved, Mike Giardi, who covers the pass and does a great job for NFL Network, is going to join us uh, to talk uh, Tennessee, New England. Uh, and also, we're going to do some news because we do have some, got some stuff to hit, Mark, including, yes, more Browns. Mm-hmm. More Browns. But stuff. the news isn't at Big the surprise. top. This is the, like a, an exciting playoff format. All Halftime right. news. It's a pretty big difference. Uh, yeah, we're mixing it up a little bit. <laughs> mixing it up a little bit. So let's uh, get into it. Um, is everybody excited? Yeah. Oh. Thoroughly. Is Mike Giardi available now? Should we start with the, the Patriots game? I'm realizing that his window of availability might not be open yet. Well, we're starting. Why don't we start with a little Texans? Let's start with a little Buffalo at Houston, then. Uh, better known, of course, as Westavis. Mm. It's the most wonderful time of the year. For new wow. listeners, what, why, why is it Westavis? Well, we created the holiday to celebrate the Bengals' annual elimination from the playoffs on Wild Card Weekend, five straight years from 2011 to 2015. Since then, the Texans have taken over as the surrogate West of his team. They always get that early Saturday window, which is the West of his window, the, the game that nobody really wants to watch. Mm. They put them in there. The Texans have now played more games on West of us than the Bengals have. So it shifts now. Is this a is a Texans holiday? Texas. We can we can share it. Both Cincinnati and Texas, known for chili. I mean, they've got some commonalities there. Well, but you Dave, were openly rooting against the Bengals. That was part of the festival atmosphere. Was you hoping the team would is crash that true and burn? Though? What? Were you rooting against the Bengals? Absolutely, oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's why it was a party. Yeah, you're not rooting no. against the Texans. I was going to say, you don't feel that way oh, about yeah. Houston. I'm rooting against oh, the really? Texans, too. I can't, I can't right. get behind that. Well, it's because you had all these friends and family that you say still support the team. They're chumps. Why are you still supporting Who, your friends team? and family? All right, yes, well, why, why are. are you rooting against the Texans? I Because they're not they're not as good as the Bills, I guess. Mm. Interesting. I'm with Wes. All right, let's start there, then. Wes, you think that despite the fact that the – uh, well, these are two 10 and 6 teams, of course, all right? And teams that have had some ups and downs. But, you know, you could say that the Bills, West have been the more consistent team this season. But is it fair to say at least this, Wes, that the Bills as consistent and, you know, well-coached and they've been a, a, a strong team this year, their ceiling is not as high as the Texans, is it? I mean, and by that, and by that logic, the Texans should be able to win at home a team that has more talent and ability. Mm-hmm. 
Well, they they might not have more talent. The, the, the two big factors in this game, and the reason why the Bills, I believe, are going to win, and maybe convincingly, is because Will Fuller is a long shot to play, according to our Tom Pelissero, and J.J. Watt Ugh. is returning from a three- to four-month injury after two months of a torn pectoral and will be limited at best. If these two guys are healthy, it changes everything because they're two of the most impactful players on the field. They're not healthy. One of them probably won't play. The other one will play in a limited fashion. And I think the Bills are the worst. You, If you had to draw up a team that you do not want to see if you're the Houston Texans, it'd be the Buffalo Bills. With that defense, the one thing you know you're getting in this matchup is a fundamentally sound shutdown defense. The Bills only allowed one team to score 25 points this year. That's the lowest figure in the league. Right. They just simply don't have bad games on defense. Since week 11, they have become one of the best sacking teams in the NFL. They've become one of the best run defense teams in the NFL. You put Tredavious White on DeAndre Hopkins, which is the best cornerback in the NFL probably to put on a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. And then you have great safeties and speedy linebackers to shut down Duke Johnson and anything else this Texans team wants to go. They're going to be suffocated by the Bills defense, I believe. They're, the fact that they gave up the fewest big plays in the league is a problem, especially when you don't have Will Fuller. Because now you, yeah, you have Kenny Stills, who's a factor, and DeAndre Hopkins, but you're going to need Deshaun Watson to move the ball down the field slowly. He struggled a lot when he played the Bills a year ago, uh, had one of his worst games in 2018 against Buffalo. They're basically the same defense, but they also haven't really beaten anyone great all season. I mean, they are a very limited offense. And in the playoff weeks, I always look for the opposite of kind of the cliche, you know, defense win championships. No, I, I usually just pick the team with the better offense. And the Texans, despite the ups and downs, were top eight in the league in yards per drive and points per drive. And the Bills were 24th or below in both of those measures. There's no way you can look at the Bills offense and say it's anything better than mediocre. So you're having weakness on weakness, a weak Bills offense on a weak Texans defense, and then strength on strength when Watson I, I, I feel like there are there are an inordinate amount of Sean's in the NFL mm. coaching. Too and, many, perhaps? But, yeah. Well, I don't know, because they're Speak all really great coaches. You've got Sean McVay, who gets talked about endlessly, and Sean Payton for good reason. But Sean McDermott has someone that was essentially like the last interview for a bunch of teams before the Bills hired him. I think that he has produced a Bills team that is consistent week to week. They have consistent issues on offense, but they don't have that scenario where, oh, you can look back to week eight when they were blown, their doors were blown off by someone. They seem to hang with every single team that they deal with. And when they, when they go into Dallas and win on the road the way they did on Thanksgiving, I don't really care where the game takes place. I think with previous Bills teams that kind of got there, you'd need this game to be in Buffalo or want it to be. I, it's the Texans to me that I don't know what team I'm going to get from week to week. I simply don't. And I would have probably taken Will Fuller a month ago and put 30 or 40 massage therapists around him and just having them, you know, <laughs> Massage that t- soft tissue area all over. His what body. area was it? Oh yeah, whatever area has soft tissue. What is it you, supposed to be? There's a groin in. Well, okay, Tell him that's to get a massage what, in his groin. Yeah, but I, what environment are you talking about? I'm just a saying. Month? I'm saying you keep him. His body is prepared. Want to send him off stuff. to a place where he gets massaged? You know, I didn't. I, I thought it was just thinking other parts of his body. I don't know if that's hamstrings, legal. but whatever. I'm with you, by the way. And in fact, this game. If you put it in Orchard Park or in Houston, it changes nothing about how I feel. If this game would have been Houston going up to Buffalo, I wouldn't feel any stronger about either team. I think this is destined to be 
perhaps the closest game of Wild Card Weekend. I don't see how this isn't like a field goal game and not a very high scoring one at that because I don't I think it's it's almost become cliche. Maybe it's only cliche to me slash us because we're so close to it. But yes, the impact of a Will Fuller not being Will Fuller and what that's meant to this offense. But to me, this has all the earmarks of 20 to 17 and it may be coming down to a battle of kickers. Uh, and and we'll see how that how that plays out. But I, I think this is a, a toss up game. And West West created this amazing West of Us document. And one of the great tenets of a West of Us game, the three nothing scenario, it is a three zero lead too steep to overcome for <laughs> right. West of Us. I mean, the feel that in this. It's worth mentioning that Texans Deshaun Watson were flat out embarrassed in West of Us a year ago. I mean, it was one of the worst performances. Maybe the worst of Deshaun Watson's career. Well, it was in many statistical the, the, the Colts measures. The Colts put it to them in a game, and that was not a result that we expected going into it, that it was going to be that one-sided. At the time, we said, well, imagine if Deshaun Watson had good pass protection. What would that look like? And now he's got it. I mean, they by any measure, they've had one of the best pass-protecting lines in the league. They're pretty good run-blocking. And when I look at the Bills, they're very sound defensively. They're fine. They're just the defense. I mean, they just gave up the the best game to Tom Brady that he's had in about 10 weeks. They're fine. I mean, they, they're not going to shut down a guy who is making the right reads and is patient. And I think Deshaun Watson can do that because he has that protection. They do not have much of a pass rush. They're sound enough that they can send some blitzes and still hold up at the back end. But in terms of Shaq Lawson and, and Trent Murphy and Jerry Hughes, it's like they're fine. It's a fine defense. One of my... if. If West of Us is my favorite tradition at playoff time... Mm-hmm. It's the Festival of Slights. It is. <laughs> my second favorite tradition is Greg picking the wrong team in West of Us every Ooh. single time <laughs> and misreading the situation completely. Yes. I don't feel game, strong about this one. There's a game yes. every year where the more I dig in, the more I do research, the more I watch games, it becomes so clear that one team is better than the other. The Bills are better than the... Are you gonna, locking it up? Are you going to... Yeah, I'm locking it up. The Bills are better than the Texans. And what we have with the Will Fuller thing. I love it. I broke down the stats, and Deshaun Watson statistically is Patrick Mahomes with Will Fuller on the field running a Chiefs or Saints caliber offense. You take Will Fuller off the field, he's Case Keenum numbers-wise, running a Colts, Lions, or Giants caliber of offense. Mm. It's that drastic of a difference with these two teams. I just think the Bills, you take a look at a guy like Devin Singletary, and you can besmirch the Bills' offense. I think it's foolish to forget about what Josh Allen does in short yardage conversion in fourth quarters when he can out-athlete a defense. If you don't give him credit for that, you're not you're doing a disservice to your analysis. Devin Singletary led the NFL in yards per carry. He is the best outside runner in the NFL. The Texans are the worst outside run defense in the NFL since J.J. Watt went mm. down. Almost every single little matchup in this game goes to the Bills. I do think if you just kind of watch their two teams, the Bills have been better over the second half of the season. Most of the good memories we have of the Texans, a lot of those good numbers are from the first half of the season. Their point even differential in their, is worse than the Dolphins. Even in, the in their half wins, the you know, the Bucks, the Colts win, like some of their bigger wins down the stretch, you didn't watch that and feel like they were at full flight. I'm not someone that puts a ton on momentum. I just kind of look at like Dan, the the two ceilings. I feel like it's a coin flip. It does make a big difference to me where the game is. I think Houston uh, is a is a pretty good home crowd when they get going, and, and I wouldn't trust this team, the Texans, 
in Buffalo, and I give them a much better chance. Uh, in- I just don't. I just to me, the Bills don't feel like because they're on the road, they're going to yeah, change that I get much. It. I the, what, I'd get concerned if I were a Buffalo. If you get the hot version of Deshaun Watson for whatever reason, and I hear you, Wes, I think it's not a good matchup for them, especially without Fuller. But they get up fourteen nothing, then suddenly you have to have Josh Allen testing the field because what I feel like I see every game from him are two or three, if not four or five ridiculous overthrows or way off target passes. And what is the, who is the guy that's going to create electricity and pull, and pull Buffalo back if they get into a hole? That's your one issue with Buffalo. They don't have that offense. I will, I'll say this. I, I agree with what you're saying. Even You could point to te- the Texans' biggest win uh, of the last six weeks, which was going into Nashville and winning. is not some dominant effort, but Show me the the Bills win that they've had this season in a huge spot that was bigger than what the Texans did going into Nashville and stopping a Titans play, team playing as well as anyone in the league. They're ten and was six that, teams for a reason. Was that right after the Broncos blew their doors off? Well, you know, it's, I mean, I just no, the Texans are inconsistent, and I acknowledge you picked one loss in a stretch of five games where they won four, though. I mean, I mean they were they were outplayed by the Buccaneers. They they got they got blown out in Baltimore. And at least the, I, I agree. They're an imperfect team. Deshaun Watson is fantastic, and you you can do all the analysis you want, and he can make you look really foolish because he's great. Can either I, I of these teams be in the AFC Championship game in a couple weeks? No, I don't think so. I Not unless so, another yeah. team I think like this, goes off the cliff on a bus. Losing to Sean Gibson is a big deal too. The the Texans lost their starting safety, their deep safety a week ago. I like. That the secondary is so undisciplined. Right. They gave up tons of big plays, and you don't see the Bills' secondary doing anything like that. It means a lot, though, it, even though I don't think either of these teams are going anywhere. It is worth like looking at what this game means to both franchises. It's pretty massive. Bill O'Brien pushed his chips in the table in the middle of the table for this year. I mean, he made those trades, and they've worked out. Laramie Tunsil was a great trade, and that'll help the team for, for years to come. But... This is an important game for Bill O'Brien after everything he's done to kind of consolidate power. If you lose twice in a row to pretty mediocre teams at home in the playoffs, it, I'm not saying he's... Would, I mean, define important. It doesn't put his job in jail. No, no, I'm not saying that. I just mean they need they need to show some evidence of, of that Growth. they're part of the but, AFC power structure here, and it would be very uh, disappointing. I, I, would, I would just argue that from compared to last year, they're no farther ahead on that journey, of, for me, of viewing them as an AFC power. Right, well, go, go smack down the Bill get to the divisional round and, and see what happens and, and then you can get there. The Bills on the other end, I mean, when was the last time they won a playoff game? It's been 20 years. I mean, this is this would be a massive moment well, they, for the Bills and their fan base. It, it's A couple years ago, it was like, we're happy to be here. This year, it's like, go go win a game. This is a very winnable game. They haven't beat the Texans in 14 years. And I, a lot of that stuff's just nonsense because it's different <laughs> types of game. teams. But I hope J.J. Watt stays healthy, by the way. He came back. This, it will be 69 He's days. had a big moment on West of this before. Probably yes, his he biggest has. moment. That's another tenant. You know? Well, he's also returned. This will be his third return from major injury, and it's taken him three games each time to get a sack after his return from and major injury. Not to mention, he's beating the typical time uh, timetable, but by not days, not weeks, but like a month or two. And I would be, you know, obviously concerned. You don't want to see him get hurt again. How long does this return last? Is he pushing it? It seems like an injury that would be very easy to aggravate, but, you know, he's a I'm super guy. Happy for him that he's playing. I mean, yeah, this is cool. How many chances in life do you get to play a playoff game? The, the 69 days from back from Sunday, he tweeted, my season's over and mm. life is terrible. And now here he is playing on Sunday. Before we get to the Pats, let's pick the game uh, formally with the score, Mark. Bills, 23. Texans, 22. Locking it up? No. Okay. Wes, Not touching. I know you have. Wait, uh, were you Bills. going to lock it up before we kind of you know pushed you into that? 
Or are we going a different way? Bills. Nobody pushes Wes into anything. <laughs> Bills 24, Texans 13. Mm. I like it. I got. Uh, I said it was a field goal game. It's a field goal game. Texans 20 to 17 at the gun. I think it'll be a lot of scoring. 28-24, Texans. I don't feel strong about this one at all. I feel like this is a coin flip. <laughs> okay, let us now move to the Saturday night game. And this is the one that Greg is terrified. I don't even have to ask Greg what his P scale is. It's high. Uh, it is through the roof. And he'll, and he'll do the whole shtick like, well, why, I couldn't ask for anything more after all these years. And, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> Nothing matters. Never no, say it doesn't no, no, matter. No, no. It matters. You, They're at AFC sir. East champions. I'm riding off of that. You, sir, were stung by what happened on Sunday against the Dolphins, as was all of Patriot Nation. And now you find yourself vulnerable, it seems, at home against a Titans team that nobody wanted to draw in the first round because few teams in the NFL are playing as well as the Tennessee Titans right now. So this is a great game. It's in prime time. Greg has a birthday party earlier in the day. You know what? I is messed it, up the weeks there. It's act, That's next week. I was oh, that's perfect. So yeah. I'm good. I'm all good. day you just get to sit and stew in it and realize, this, this is this the end? After this run that's taken up my entire adult life, is it all over tonight? Right. Greg has a birthday party in the morning and a funeral in the evening. Saturday night dead. We I, got, have I, got, I got some nice tweets from people like, you really handled that, you know, dance being really hard on you. Like, <laughs> you know it's not personal. Sa- right. uh, we have a yeah, guest. it's not personal. Mike Giardi, uh, who is... Totally personal. <laughs> and it's coming back. The next time the, the Jets blow a Week 17 game and you're all crying and you come up to the studio, I can't do it. If you're telling me the Jets <laughs> blow... It's like, oh, yes. Ryan Fitzpatrick lost. Yes. I can't do the show today. If you're oh. t- <laughs> like, I like, like that impression. Make the playoffs. Like make it. the playoffs. If, if there's a scenario where the Jets are playing for something in Week 17, I'll take it. I'll take that. Yes. Pain. Um, all right. Mike Giardi's on the line. Mike does awesome work. That Greg doesn't usually do voice work. That was I really enjoyed I mean, that. you know, unexpected. You shoot at Greg, he's going to shoot right back. <laughs> Mike Giardi, NFL Network, does awesome stuff, and he's joining us for the first time on the Around the NFL podcast. What's up, Mike? What's up, fellas? I feel like Greg needs a hug. I'm good. Greg doesn't like human touch. Just yeah, hearing your voice, Mike, is is like a warm hug, you know, from the (laughs) Foxborough area. Uh, Mike, you are as plugged in as anybody uh, into Patriot Nation right now. Uh, What is the vibe right now around this team? Do you sense nerves in and around uh, the uh, Patriot way, or is this team uh, really buying into the? Of revenge tour, everybody's against us, so we have nothing to lose. Where, where, what are you picking up over there? Yeah, I mean, I think the fan base is is like Greg; they're they're nervous. You know, uh, this is uh, not something they expected. They figured they would have the bye to give Adelman and Brady a chance to rest up the extra week. Anybody else with some nicks and bruises, and then you know you come out a guns ablaze. And instead, you know, you're in. You pick the team, you, the draw that you didn't want. You get Tennessee who's been playing probably as well as anybody in the AFC, which is saying something when you consider, you know, the way Kansas City and Baltimore are rolling. In terms of the locker room, I think they flushed that Baltimore game out pretty, I mean, rather, the Miami game out pretty quickly. But I do sense that there is a, I don't know what we are, kind of vibe about them right now. And that is, again, pretty unusual. I mean, we've had periods where maybe the offense doesn't know what they are, the defense, but... Somebody had some idea, and I think right now I don't think they know what they are offensively, and I don't think they know what they are defensively, which is kind of crazy to think after the first you know seven eight weeks of the season when 
nobody could do anything against him. When we watch Brady play and then you look at his numbers from the last three months where he is among the two or three worst quarterbacks in the NFL, he can't throw outside the numbers. He's terrible against pressure at this point. Do you see it as just a testament to his greatness and what he accomplished last January that nobody, and I mean nobody, is suggesting he's completely washed up like 2015 Peyton Manning? Yeah, I think people are afraid and have been afraid, not just with him, but with the team in general of shoveling dirt on him. Because even last year, you know, you lose those two games in December back to back for the first time since it was 2000, something outrageous, right? And then, you know, they get some easy wins over Buffalo and the Jets. And somehow those two games against two inferior opponents, and they were, especially the Jets, were really bad last year. Somehow that allowed them to flip the switch and gain confidence. Um, so I think people are leery of, of doing that um, because they have somehow answered the bell in all kinds of different areas and places, and Brady, of course, being one of those guys. And I just, from a physical standpoint, he's not great. Um, what, what's your gut? What's your gut feel on his elbow right now? So he, he uh, as I reported a few weeks ago, he has tennis elbow, which is a it's kind of a broad term. But why is he playing just, tennis? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, he should be laying off all that stuff and just worried about throwing the football. But so it's a degenerative condition. But that doesn't mean like oh, the elbow is about to fall off, like Roethlisberger had happened to him earlier this year. This is one of those things where because of the amount of times he's thrown the football and the amount of abuse his body has taken over years that is sort of added up and some wear and tear there. And the way it was described to me basically was he's kind of like any of us at this point of our lives. Some days feels better than others. So when we saw him against Cincinnati three weeks ago and he was a disaster uh, throwing the ball all over the place, spraying the football, I mean, just ducks coming out of his hand left and right, that that was a really bad day. Then he turns around against Buffalo, and everything looks back to normal, 78 79% completion percentage. However, there was one little caveat in that. He didn't throw a ball over 20 yards in that game. Um, so it was almost as if, yeah, this is what we do well, but we also have to manage him a little bit. And I think, again, you saw that last week against Miami where maybe it just didn't feel great. And now there's more talk of injury uh, Scott Zolak, who does the color comments. Oh, we know Scott. For the, for the, yes, right, exactly. Um, <laughs> he, th- he suggested that there's something going on with his lower half. And the, the observation that I made was, well, he changed footwear, which is very odd for him to do. He's very much a creature of habit. But also, he was jogging on the sidelines in the second half of the game. And I can tell you, honestly, I don't ever remember seeing him do that. Now, I'm not saying he's never done it. I'm just telling you that as someone who usually trains his eyes on Brady, uh, you know, whether he's on the sidelines or on the field, I hadn't seen it. I asked him about that, um, and he said, oh, you, you notice that? Oh, no big deal. I'm, you know, he continues to insist that he's great. Not that we expect him to say, hey, guys, I'm hurt. He's not going to do that. But um, So now you have that specter, too, where hmm. is it not just the elbow, is it the lower half? And mechanically, he was very unsound on Sunday, which is very unlike him. Um, and I actually ran it by Kurt Warner, and Kurt, I gave Kurt like eight or ten throws to look at, and basically in every one of those, Kurt was like, yeah, his mechanics are, he's not marrying his lower half with his upper half. Mm. Now, whether that's because of injury, or there was some pressure early, and as we've seen, you know, Tom, especially these last few years, maybe if he gets hit early, he doesn't 
settle into the pocket as nicely. But so I think there's a lot of play here that, you know, I don't know what Tom Brady's going to look like on, on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody who's watched him consistently over the last 19 years uh, as the starting quarterback of this team could say the same. Yeah, Greg Bedard, who does a great job writing about them, too, said his his lower body mechanics, he thought, were totally off. And then I noticed you grilling him about it, Giardi, today. But you did that thing where you said, you know, longtime Tom Brady watchers were pretty interested. <laughs> were you kind of just afraid of getting the, the death stare from, from Brady there in a big spot? Um, no, I don't worry about him so much. You get the death stare from Brady. I bellish like all the time. I don't worry about him so much, but we were just kind of in that mode. He was messing around with the Tom Kern cell phone when he first got up there. And then I asked him the question about, you know, his health. And I prefaced it by saying, I know you're going to love this because <laughs> a, I know he's told us before. I think I had, a, I asked him maybe a month ago about his health and he joked like, I wouldn't tell you guys anyway, you know? So, I mean, we're kind of in that place where, um, he's 42. He knows what do you ever he have knows that? What we're trying to do, yeah, and, he, and we know what he's trying to do, so we're just kind of playing off each other. A you ever bit. have that moment, uh, like in the new movie, The Irishman, when Jimmy Hoffa's wife is af- afraid to turn the key of the ignition outside the Teamsters <laughs> Union <laughs> office after like a particularly contentious uh, back and forth with Belichick? Have you ever been uh, afraid to turn the key? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely look over the shoulder. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had friends say, come get my car, just give it a try, turn the key. I, I wait, I got to go over here for a second. <laughs> hey, if Mom, Michael Thomas can, can break the single-season receptions record, nobody should be afraid of anything, <laughs> yeah. right? One question for you. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're Bill Belichick. You just lost to former employee Brian Flores. Now you've got Mike Vrabel coming in. Is there? Do you think that Belichick um, has to think about these types of games against former pupils that knew all the internal secrets much differently? And uh, and you know, assessing him this week, his irritation level on a scale of say one to one hundred, how irritated is Bill Belichick with life right now? I would say he was about uh, a seven and a half, hmm. which which is out of a hundred. No, 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 out of ten. I was doing out of oh, 75. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would put him I would put him I would put him there. I, I think we saw him a couple times earlier this year when the defense was really carrying the day. Um and Brady was kind of scuffling along. He was super happy and cheery and <laughs> um, like just you're like, Wow, maybe it's just because he just loves defense so much or yep. maybe I think that's secretly it. he's getting secretly he's getting a kick out of the fact that he's he was doing it without Brady being the the focal point. Um <laughs> But I think, yeah, I think it was fairly normal for himself this week. I mean, you know, clearly the message was we got to get past Miami. We got to get past it quickly. I think when he, in these games, and I think obviously Flores and O'Shea and, and some of the guys that he brought along with him had deeper institutional knowledge than Vrabel because Vrabel's been gone for a long time. Um, but Vrabel still has, you know, there are plenty of expatriates there as well. And Dean Pease was here as well. So I think... I, I, I asked Belichick last week about the sort of the game you have to play within the game when you're coaching against someone who knows you as well as Flores did. And I think it sort of holds true for this week, too. It's like, well, you can't just look at the 65 plays they ran last week because you know that they know that you, you know, that whole thing of, you know, they know that they, you know, so then do I do this or do I not do this? And I think you get into that place. And I think there have been times for as great as the Patriots have been, um, and particularly in the offensive side with Josh, where, it's almost like they feel you out and they're spinning the dial for a while. You know, sometimes into the second quarter, maybe late second quarter before they finally decide this is what's going to work and let's do it. And, you know, when you do that against inferior opponents, 
you're usually not in trouble when you do that against good opponents. And I think Tennessee's a good team. Maybe that's where you find yourself in some trouble. Uh, Michael Giardi will have boots on the ground for Tom Brady's final game with the Patriots. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yes or no? Real quick there, Mike. Last game for Tom Brady. Yes or no? Gut feeling. Uh, I say this is his last season. I don't know if this is his last game. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Didn't, Mike Giardi. Didn't listen to the yes or no, and I like that. I like that. Uh, but do you think this is the end? All right. Interesting. All right. So like Greg Rosenthal in the bio for his Twitter profile, it just says football. Mm. Oh, nice. And that's a statement. Yeah. Mike's making a statement. Like, uh, I, first of all, I separate my personal life from my professional life. But I also want you to know there's no BS over here. I'm a football <laughs> man. I'm a scribe, and I am a reporter that should be respected. Mm. That all checks out, Mike? It absolutely all checks maybe, out. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Dan should give Giardi a follow here. I mean, sure, <laughs> celebrate it on, wow. on the podcast. Wow. Live. It just happened. <laughs> just happened. I don't know how that didn't happen, but now maybe Mike can follow me back. We'll be, we'll be all good. <laughs> I never been informed. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. That's Mike Giardi. Follow moment. him at Mike Giardi. Thanks a lot for your time, buddy, and uh, enjoy watching the end of the dynasty. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, before we move on, Let's uh, unpack a little bit there. Anything surprise you, Wes? Because you were the one that said, we got to get Mike on the air because you were really taken aback by some of that stuff about Brady's health, the reports from Giardi earlier this week. Well, you could tell from looking at his tweets that he believed that there was something legitimate going on with the elbow or with the health anyway. And I I do think we heard some things. Some days are better better than others. And we know know that the aging players over the course of the year do worse and their bodies break down. But to me, that's how you can have a game like the Bills game, that your body does feel better that day and it's just it's coming out of your arms smoother. And like, who's going to doubt that he can muster up a good day after the careers he's had? I, I just don't want to be the one to doubt him. I'm guess- not either, but I would say that like the, I, the concept of going into next season – and managing this week to week, if you're if you're the Patriots or you're Tom Brady, and you're and these little things are coming up at that age, like this does feel like well, the, when he said the he, sunset of this. He's been experience. saying since he's 38 that he wants to play till he's 45, but you don't know how you actually feel until you're go, going through those early 40s, and maybe he will. That changes. He's 42, and he's starting to feel more play. and more beat up. He could play the September schedule until he's 45, but I don't know about a full 16, and, 20 games. Can I be honest? I'll yeah. be honest here. I will miss him when he's gone. Hmm. This is not going to last forever. No. I as time that is goes, I You'll well, if you if your team if the Browns are in the AFC East, you would also struggle. <laughs> uh, but with a little bit of distance, uh, I will miss Tom Brady when he's gone, and it's going to be gone sooner than we think potentially. Let's pick this game. Let's talk about this uh, game a little more. I know we did a little GR. I mean, this is we got other teams to get to. We got to talk mean, a little Titans, all right? It's like we didn't even, didn't even talk about it. Well, Why let's not? talk about There's it now. Stuff. Pick the game and we'll talk. Share a point, Mark. Go ahead. I, this one is impossible for me to see ahead of time. I'm going to go New England, 24, Titans, 17. Hmm. Wes, what do you got? What are you thinking? I, this was the hardest game for me to pick, and I fall on the Patriots after listening to Giardi's comments. I was sort of going back and forth. I just think there are so many things that Belichick can exploit about the Titans from their cornerbacks. Being Might get a Dory Jackson back. Looks like he's back, which is big. Which would yeah. be big, but 
you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas have taken over games in the last few weeks against the secondary. Julian Edelman can take over this game against the secondary. The pass from rush from the Titans, which has been abysmal for the last half of the season. The kicking woes. This is a team that is used to scoring in the red zone. What if finally facing a good defense for the maybe the first time all year, mm. the Titans have trouble in the red zone mm. and have to try it out a kicker who hasn't been tested. This is one of the worst kicking teams in modern football. Uh, the offensive line, Tannehill has the highest sack percentage of any quarterback in the league. There are so many little edges that Belichick can exploit, and I think they get percentage points from having Belichick, Brady, Edelman, James White, Van Oy, Hightower, these guys who have done it in January. I'm just not going to doubt that they can come up with the smoke and mirrors that they're going to need mm. to beat a Titans team that has feasted on an awful, an awfully easy schedule. Mm. And Ed- Edelman's health to me is so big, though. He's score. Been looking more hurt than Brady. Uh, I will say Titans 22, or uh, Patriots 22, Titans 19. You, you, you bring up Julian Edelman. He he says he's, he's starting to feel better now. One. I mean, he's been the bigger. It's January, yeah. all hands on deck. <laughs> Your thoughts? I, I took the Titans to win. I just, I didn't overthink it just because the, Wow, the offense! I always just trust offense. They their offense has been better than the Ravens over the second half of the season in terms They've of DVOA. Nobody, I I get it. But even when they play a halfway decent defense like the Saints, they move the ball. They get big plays. Some of the throws that Tannehill like made last week. Okay, they didn't play. They did, they didn't play anyone. They're playing the Texans. The throws he make. It doesn't matter who you're playing against. Three, four, five of those throws were Patrick Mahomes like it, it does dimes matter. where you're on the run and you're hitting spots. And I trust the Patriots defense to come up with a better game plan than everything that happened a week ago. But they they're they've just been fine on defense lately. I don't trust defense in general. They haven't been dominant. Gilmore versus uh, A.J. Brown is maybe the key matchup of the game, and maybe Gilmore comes back and has a, a much better performance. But Patrick Chung is killing them. And the, the fact that the defense lost the game against Miami really wasn't the offense. They scored enough. They had good drives. They scored a couple times late in the game. And the defense giving up plays, to me, against a premier offense, I don't quite trust it. Does anyone put any stock at all, and I understand it'll probably in this room just be laughed off, but the fact that Tennessee – whips New England 34-10 a year ago. Different no. teams, different players, doesn't matter at all. I, I think it does because, A, the record against his assistants is it's a, it's, it's proven. I mean, he's like 500 against his assistants. But the bigger factor is I think they struggle against big, athletic, physical teams. And that's what the Titans are on offense. Their defense isn't that good. So I think if this was Tom Brady's last game, I think he could play very well. And it's a high-scoring game. I have it. Thirty to twenty-seven for Tennessee. Nary a laugh in the room there, Mark. See how serious I was. Well, I was. I was preparing for you know the the response to a game from a year ago. I don't think it giggled away, but but it's fair that you brought it up. I mean, part of the revenge tour. My favorite Browns game of all time is when Eric Mangini and a ghost ghost filled Browns roster dropped a huge a bomb on Belichick, and I do think that people that worked, if you've worked with someone for years and years and you know the way they prepare for a game, there is an advantage there if you're good enough to take it, you know, advantage also, of that advantage. They, they know each other well. They they spent three days together this offseason practicing together. Like I, Look, the Patriots have some advantage of knowing how Dean Pease uh, attacks offenses as well. That That's not the key. It's more just like, I don't know. You, it's an old team that... The good that doesn't have like a lot of athletes peaking at the end of the season. This is the only uh, only the second time in the history of our show that you picked against the Patriots. 
I believe that's true. Second time I think this year. I, it's a different year around New England. I think I picked them. I picked against them a couple times in December. Actually, it was two. Okay. But but you're right. You it's get the, the first three. Um, <laughs> great heavyweight fighters. A uh, little boxing analogy here. The, what's the West? What's the last thing to go for a great heavyweight as they age? Uh, the the want to to stand in and take a punch. Take a punch, and they could land a punch. You still have power. Uh, you might lose your feet. You might lose your endurance, but you can still punch. That's the way I look at the Patriots. Like a little bit of late period Ali this week where not when it got really sad, not really sad, Muhammad Ali. Still fighting. And and to continue to use this boxing analogy, next week and the week after, if the Patriots were to survive, then you have some young Mike Tysons up next. So I do not think this is going to last long, but I do think the Patriots survive this week. I think that this is going to be a proud team at home with the lights on, the crowd going nuts, and the feeling and the vibe Oh, this could be Tom Brady's last game. I think that's going to carry them in a big way. I still think it would be a close game because I respect the Titans. And seeing Derrick Henry be fully healthy in Week 17 and going off, that that would give any defensive coordinator They are so hard to prepare for in terms of their running game. So that legit. Nobody should be surprised if the Titans drop a bomb and it's the beginning of a new era in the AFC. But I will pick the Patriots as the old heavyweight with one <laughs> wow. punch to land. I was the only one to go against. 27 to 24, Pats over Titans. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I firmly believe in Derrick Henry. I believe in Tannehill and the throws he's making. So much of this Titans offense is based on outlier success on play action. And that's coming against bad defenses. I think when you take a disciplined, great, not good defense like the Patriots, mm. that play action is not sure to be there. The, la- the last thing I'll say, Ed, the offensive line for the Patriots are coming off their two best games of the year. Rex Burkhead is also looking pretty yes, good. If is. they have any positives, it is a running game and is the lack of pass rush for Tennessee. That's why I think it's going to be a shootout, an old school uh, AFC shootout. Think- what the Patriots are capable of I a think shootout? So. I think that I well, think there's going to be a lot of points. Well, this is when we shift into weird time. And Tannehill's four we wins shift in general before it's tomorrow. We will. Tannehill's yeah. four wins against the Patriots are more than any quarterback ever in the history of the earth. Then Peyton Manning is the only one well, with that, more. But it was only four. I don't care. Like maybe he's one of these guys that's just not scared of the Patriots. It basically <laughs> says that the AFC East <laughs> I'm had trying. no quarterbacks that lasted more than a few years in yeah. the last twenty years. All right, let's take a breather here from these incredible game previews to to hit some news. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> what was that from? <laughs> I mean, Daniel Snyder, Redskins owner, opens his press conference announcing the hiring of Ron Rivera by wishing everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I mean, that is, the I guess, even billionaires that have conquered the business world can get very nervous. I've never heard anyone wish anyone a happy Thanksgiving in early January. Well, it's never too late. It's America's greatest <laughs> That's holiday, a good way to think about and, that. And uh, it's good to spread that cheer. I do wonder if you're Ron Rivera sitting down, you know, about to be introduced, <laughs> and your new uh, owner is just basically... Uh, wished everyone happy holiday from a month plus ago. Well, you know what I'm doing? I'm running to the bank to make sure that check clears. He's well, giving thanks for having Riverboat. Uh, all right, let's get to it. Uh, sadly, Mark, we got to start with the Browns. Uh, how did we get back here? We're back. We're back to the Browns being the Browns. They have fired yet another general manager. Uh, Cleveland parted ways with John Dorsey after two years on the helm. 
Uh, the team announced, um, made that move official after it was reported in multiple places. The decision to move on from Dorsey comes just two days after the Browns fired head coach Freddie Kitchens at the conclusion of the regular season. Uh, Dorsey had a meeting with Jimmy Haslam, the team owner, earlier Tuesday. Uh, the two sides, according to Tom Pelissero, uh, were talking about possible structural changes that would curb Dorsey's authority as GM. But when the two sides couldn't come to an agreement, uh, it was over. Mark, uh, it feels like Cleveland, even though with a better roster, is back to square one in terms of dysfunction and just in general question marks about the present and the future. And I can't even begin to uh, understand how you must feel the frustration of it all. Well, I'm of two minds because the first is it, there is just a, you know more proof that the Browns, the constant mode is sort of uh, – developing farce. I mean, whatever, whenever you think that they've turned a corner, it, they're actually just going in a circle back to where they were before. And there were just a lot of you know, disturbing uh, reports and whispers coming out of Cleveland that the ownership, and we know this is not, it's not shocking when you think about it, but they, but they continue to just to be very impatient with all their decisions and the people they hire. And so the question now, and I think that the, I've never seen the fan base this deflated because of where they were a year ago at this time, or let's say seven months ago to now, but because it just doesn't almost seem to matter to most people who they hire. And it's too, it's too de-energizing to get excited about fill in the blank coach. And the, 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 from the other side, though, I will say this. Had they kept John Dorsey, it would have narrowed the candidate list of who was going to come and work with that next team by a lot. So I think, you know, if you're going to keep doing this... But do you agree that Dorsey wasn't the right guy to be leading the charge? Because everyone seemed to be in agreement that he was a a guy that came in. He obviously inherited Sashi's uh, bountiful gifts and had some hits, had some misses, but had some big hits. To, to me, it all feels a little premature to, to take him out of the equation, but well, that's just what this organization this, has done. This wasn't a, a straight firing, right? They just they couldn't they come, had different visions on how they saw the, the football operation going forward. 100%. I think they wanted to keep him, and they talked about how much they liked him, but that John Dorsey is probably very prideful and is not going to take a... What is it? What is when you're changing title, it's a demotion. What else is it? And the thing is, he... He, you ha- it's his, it was his decision number one to to go with Freddie Kitchens, and they they ignored Paul D. Podesta's recommendations of Kevin Stefanski. Um, D. Podesta also wanted Sean McDermott in the past, so I think what they were kind of saying was we kind of trust Paul D. Podesta's voice in this at this time around, and that's not something that just, again it's, it's the a Kitchens su- fallout. It's a soup of they people. They fired Dorsey yeah. for hiring Kitchens more Basically, than anything, I and so. I think he, had, he was and, about to deal. It's, yeah. it's a stunning fall, though. We were at the owners' meetings, and. Uh, at that point, John Dorsey was the toast of the NFL. I ranked him in the top five of my GM rankings, and no, no one said, "Oh, that's that's too high." I mean, like, it was very recent that who, who was five? I mean, oh, who was right behind him? Thomas Dimitrov was yeah. five. Kevin Colbert three. What? But uh, it, it is amazing how much a talent he acquired in a short time, and he's gone. But I think. They've gotten it wrong so many times of not having the GM and the coach aligned that I I do like I like I think that needs to be on the same page yes. at every time so I'm fine with it. It's deflating to the point of heartbreak for for Browns fans that last year at this time this job was seen as one of the most coveted in the league with a young talented nucleus and you were finally going to bring the winner to Cleveland and now it's seen you're reading stories that executives say that's the one place I would not go and you're right back to where you were. I think it's like you, if you know some of these coaching tree scenarios where Kyle Shanahan has a number of people interviewing with the Browns, 
he was there. He 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 demanded his way out of the building. You got you know the Bill Belichick's of the world are going to be telling these guys, be careful because yes, it's great for you to go on and get a head coaching job, but the DNA here is that you won't be there 400 days. Haslam made it clear in his press conference to Thursday that the coach would be part of hiring the GM, which sounds weird, but I, I that's, part that, though. that's fine. But it means that the coach is ultimately the GM's boss if you get hired for it. And that's fine. As long as it's defined ahead of time, if that helps them get McDaniels or Stefanski or whoever it is that they want in the door, that's fine. It, it just makes it clear that it's the coach that's in charge. And function and dysfunction always starts at the top in sports. And since the Haslam's joined, they're on their fifth, took over the team. They're on their fifth coaching search in seven years. And John Dorsey is the fifth different person or group heading up the football operation in that same seven year. That has to be unprecedented. I mean, there are at least a third that work in at least the third that only had one year, really, (laughs) which is wild. (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll continue to track all the Browns news. And I'm sure there will be a bunch of it. Um, I can't believe this. On Monday, we did our New Horizons Monday podcast detailing the comings and goings uh, of coaches, GMs, and whatnot. And we were, oh, Jason Garrett, that's not done yet. And we were like, oh, I wish the show was taped later or we're taping tomorrow. We get <laughs> No, it's still, as of right now, Jason Garrett is still employed by the Dallas Cowboys. There's been multiple meetings. Jane Slater a uh, friend of the show, has been tracking this closely. And there was a meeting scheduled for today, Thursday. It, it just it just doesn't end, Greg. Or does it? And there's also now there's speculation. Are they trying to keep Jason Garrett with the organization? It all just feels like the most Cowboys thing possible here. Well, he's been there, Jason Garrett, for his whole career as a player, a coach. It's probably the person other than you know his son that Jerry Jones is closest to that's ever been in that organization. So I don't know, maybe the team pastor role is open, you know, put him in the front <laughs> office. I don't know. Garrett, it, who so knows? Much invested it, in. It's so it's taken so long that some people are wondering, maybe he could coach, but I, I do think that Jones is after these big name, probably from the college ranks coaches. And for that reason, he's not in a hurry and he likes messing is, around with people. Are the Cowboys the question during this week? Are they, actively looking for a new coach and that's just trying to iron out Jason Garrett's role if he has any? Or are they? is this whole thing playing out and dragging out and the Cowboys haven't started doing a real search for a new coach? I'm I mean, convinced it's just like, that Mike Zimmer is, know, is, is on the radar of Jerry Jones. It's, one, it's, it's someone where he, when he, when he made, you, met, you mentioned this the other show, Greg, that Jerry Jones said, I'm feeling patient, I'm not feeling impatient. But I think Bill Barnwell nailed it. Getting more and more convinced, he tweeted, Jason Garrett is going to come out of these meetings as the new Cowboys starting quarterback. <laughs> Jerry, who knows what's going to come out of this? Jerry knows he's the bell of the ball. He has his pick of suitors. They're the Dallas Cowboys, and there's no other Dallas Cowboys in football. He, he's in no hurry. So he, he enjoys also, being in the headlines, even if it's a story like this. Of course. Oh, yeah. I think he also seems like the type of boss that doesn't want to be seen as like the mean boss, especially right. the Garrett. It's like he can't bring himself to fire this guy. He, we're not, you know, so we're much. family. He has so much invested in Garrett. Other. He brought him up. Like, as soon as he was done playing, he put him in there and said, let's turn you into a coach. Jason Garrett turned down the Ravens head coaching job just to stay an assistant in uh, Baltimore, in uh, Dallas. Good We're, move uh, for John Harbaugh. Good move for everybody. <laughs> uh, let's move on. You know, it felt like the end of something. Um, Mitchell Trubisky's Week 17 game uh, for the Bears, the former first-round pick who really flamed out in year three. Uh, but guess what? If you take his word at face value, general manager Ryan Pace, 
uh, is on board with the idea of Trubisky being the team's starting quarterback in 2020. Let's hear what Mr. Pace had to say. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is just consistency. You see, you see moments, you see games, um, but for him, stringing together better consistency. So you have the peaks and valleys. We just need to flatten that out. You need to flatten it out, Wes. Uh, Were you surprised to, to see and hear this? Well, from the from the standpoint of having gone through that Bears season and watched all their games, um, that's surprising that they were, I guess, so steadfast in their decision to stand behind Mitch Trubisky. But you're not surprised when you realize how much these people have invested in the person and the player. And I look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, who when I watch him play, terrible season, I still believe because of what I saw last year that he's going to have a great career. And I'm not even invested in him. Take somebody like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy who are invested in Mitch Trubisky, and it's not surprising to me that they still have that belief that what they originally saw is there. I, well, the one, yeah, and I think you know he picked him so. It's 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 on Ryan Pace if suddenly two years in you're you know that's a stain on your record forever if you cut ties now it might be you regardless know but it's a bigger stain to keep them and then all get fired next year which is what's going to happen that's I totally agree and it, I think it, this is like the oh, go on but well, no I just the window open the number one thing I would want in in my GM is someone because listen these guys are it's a crapshoot like all these draft picks you ha- you don't know if it's going to work out or not you you've given them two years you've given them thirty something games. Acknowledge that you've made the the wrong choice at quarterback, yes. and say I'm here because I'm gonna be I'm gonna be big enough to say we're gonna get a new quarterback or at least bring in competition. That's exactly what I don't want to hear. Is this confirmation of a bad decision? And we just believe in him, and he's got to be consistent. We're gonna hear a whole off season about his footwork and him. You know what? what Mitch Trubisky <laughs> from the neck up, and I am already exhausted by it. Maybe it proves that they to be untruthful and that they do sniff around at Cam Newton or picks. And then I would understand that more because it seems like it's so rare that there's just an obvious right and wrong decision from the outside. Keeping Trubisky and going down with the ship is the wrong decision. They, he, he started 41 games. I mean, he's been the starter for two and a half seasons. You've seen enough. Like the ceiling is so low. And I think more guys get fired in Pace's uh, position by sticking to the wrong decision instead of just admitting that it's wrong would, and moving I, on. What and does Matt Nagy think chance? behind the scenes? I would, no, I would just say we should beware not to take this too much at face value. Okay. What he's saying right now right. and how they actually go about their offseason plan because I think what makes the most sense is I know there's so much Mitch Trubisky kind of exhaustion. It's like, get him off the team. Get him out of the league. Get him out of the country. But what probably makes more sense is to do what the Titans did this year, right. which is you take your failed first-round pick, you keep him in the building, you go get a better backup like Andy Dalton say, you got to do better than Chase Daniel. And then you let it all kind of sort out. And maybe the backup hits. Maybe somehow Trubisky puts together and you give yourself a chance and maybe even save face in the process. That's a, I would be stunned if that's not the route they actually take, especially after what we saw, how it can work in Nashville. It's always a conundrum with young quarterbacks because I go back to this Mike Holmgren quote from like five years ago when he was talking about developing young quarterbacks and choosing one. You find the one you believe in, and no matter what happens, no matter what, you stand behind him every time you talk about him to your team, to the media. This is the most important part of quarterback development. Always stand behind that quarterback. And if you bring in an Andy Dalton, you shatter that a little bit. And the Titans said, we don't care what we do to Marcus Mariota. It's reached the point where we can't rely on him. Let's bring in someone else. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Cycling back to the Redskins. Yes, they officially named Ron Rivera 
head coach. Rivera, 57, is the seventh head coach hired, hired by Daniel Snyder. Um, big Thanksgiving fan. Washington, of course, fired Jay Gruden after that 0-5 start after five-plus seasons. Bill Callahan, uh, Greg thought he did a nice job. He was 3-8 and eight the rest of the way. And in other news, Jack Del Rio... I mean, he improved the winning percentage by an infinity. No, you're right. (laughs) Uh, Jack Del Rio is taken off uh, the Bristol roster at ESPN and installed as the defensive coordinator. He, of course, was the D.C. for the Panthers in 2002 and the Broncos from 2012 to 2014 when John Fox headed up those teams. Super Bowl winning dominant defense of Jack Del Rio's in 2015 with the Broncos. I wonder what this does for our friend Rob Ryan, who was coaching the linebackers in in Washington, mm. maybe maybe, uh, maybe he stays with Jack Del Rio. I don't know. You what know their we history. should we should have Rob on the show this year, this offseason, yeah. if he would allow it. I believe there's some family in the Los oh, Angeles Ryan. area. I've seen them walking around. Uh, I think he in lives Santa in Santa Monica Diego. at some point. You've seen yeah. Rob Ryan walking around? It, many did years you say hello? Ago, oh, yes. it's hard to yeah, miss. it was before we had worked with him, uh, so I did not. You see more hello. people walking around uh, than anyone I know. There's got to be 25 of these anecdotes of like semi-famous people. Greg's been living on the streets for the past four <laughs> oh, years. Oh, is that? So. I, didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Ron Rivera and Snyder have been speaking for three weeks have had pretty in-depth conversations, it sounds like, about every part of the you know facility, how to run an organization, this and that. And then they talked to Dave Gettleman, the Giants GM, uh, on Thursday. He, he was speaking with the media, and he said, they asked him about Rivera, and he said, well, as far as I knew, I turned my head around, the Redskins were already done with him. So it, it does... <laughs> Such a Gettleman. <laughs> it does help uh, to get rid of your coach yeah. early and move early. I think the Redskins got Rivera in part because... They didn't have a head coach in place, and Rivera uh, just took the you know the first committed did job you guys, he got. Speaking of Gettleman, did you guys hear Gettleman refer to his new analytics staff as computer folk? Yeah, he's, yeah. Got, he's got we got four <laughs> computer guys. Computer folk, <laughs> like what? And he learned his lesson. Does that install confidence? No. Uh, no. I mean, in who? Uh, no, not in me. Uh, all right. Um, it's like the guys at the Best Buy. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, we the got, geeks. Yeah, we got the geeks. We got the geeks spot geek in the back. The IT <laughs> department coming they're, to fix his. They're too you know, great. He called them computer folks. Don't ever change, Gettleman. Uh, I, think he's, I think he does some of those things for effect. It's just my guess. Yeah. The Jaguars, by the way, make it official. They do keep Doug Marone installed as their head coach and Dave Caldwell as their GM. So as we kind of speculated on uh, Monday's show, uh, Tom Coughlin ultimately is the guy that paid for the sins of the past two seasons. I remember when he was the guy who was going to come in and save the sins of everyone else. Mm. It's amazing how the, the blame shifts. It's true. And finally, in the news, some sad news. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland! <laughs> the crowd reaction uh, is uh, amazing. One of the greatest moments in NFL history, and we'll we'll cycle back to that because I I could use a refresher on the background of that, and I know that Wes and Mark, uh, you will have that for us. But yes, uh, sad news: Sam Weish, who coached the Cincinnati Bengals to an appearance in the Super Bowl, also coached later on with the Bucks, died on Thursday. At the age of 74, uh, the Bengals confirmed Weish's death Thursday with a statement from team owner Mike Brown. According to a report on the team's website, Weish died at his home in South Carolina. The cause was uh, melanoma. It was a brief illness. Uh, One of the great personalities, Wes, 
of the NFL in the 80s and uh, into the 90s. Uh, how do you remember Sam Weish? Well, you hear him raise his voice there, and you know that fired up the Bengals crowd. I was watching that game as a, as a kid when it happened. What was the background of that? What is the well, story there? Cincinnati and Cleveland are big rivals from the same state in Ohio. Cleveland in the Northeast, Cincinnati in the Southwest, and Cincinnati has sort of this blue-collar, down-to-earth image, and they see Cleveland as this kind of elite Shaker Heights. We've got all this money. The, you can't even control <laughs> your lake, which is on fire all the time. It's you know your downtown is falling apart. And Sam Weish said that to the crowd, but it, it belied who he was as a man. But were people throwing things on the field? Yes, or something? Yeah. Like, yes, that, they were. Yes. They were acting. The game was shut down for a, a period of time. And yeah, then there's just like a hot mic sitting around. I love you that. You can just grab it. a very 1987 thing or whatever it was. But this is a man who used to, on Sundays before games, would stop by and visit the homeless community of Cincinnati and help out on Sunday mornings. He's a guy who was very soft-spoken outside of football. And even after that clip right there happened, he went to Cleveland and sat in a dunk dunk tank for charity and had Bernie Cozy, Bernie Kozar knock him off and put him in the water. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. In football, he was sort of this mad scientist offensive genius who developed Joe Montana in San Francisco, developed the no-huddle offense at Indiana University, brought it to the Bengals, and gave them an advantage over every defense in the league for five or six years straight. And the best years, I think, of the Bengals franchise came under mm. Sam Weish. Yeah, I don't think that I would. I literally don't think I'd be here or even have an interest in working in football. If When I fell in love with the Browns, it wasn't just Cleveland, but that AFC Central before they realigned the whole thing had Marty Schottenheimer in Cleveland, Sam Weish in Cincinnati, Jerry Glanville, who was one of a kind in Houston at the time, and Chuck Knoll, who somehow was drowned out by the other three because the Steelers were hot and cold. But Weish, for all his charitable offerings, and obviously everyone knew he was just this wonderful guy, Glanville and Weish had this bitter feud that every single weekend it seemed like the Oilers and Bengals were clashing in. Like Glanville won a game or two, like fifty-one to three. When he, like a, a more classier interaction between the two, you would have settled the offenses down. That moment with with the Cleveland thing, I was on my couch and they broke through. They broke into like the NBC broadcast just to show that. And I had no news sense uh, at all back then, but I remember thinking that clip is not going to go away for a really long time. Weiss threw a sixty burger on Glanville after all that happened. Um, Check out, I wrote about sort of a love letter to Sam Weish in, in the 70s and 80s Bengals, NFL.com, Ohio River Offense. Check that out for a view of Sam Weish that you might not get anywhere else. I interviewed him for that piece, and he was a nice, nice man. He's a great example. It's a shame sometimes where you just wish he won that Super Bowl. That, so close. I mean, that if Montana doesn't make that drive in the end, people think of champions so differently, but the impact that Weish had in terms of the offense, like it would have been great if he won that one and, and was remembered that way because that's that's the kind of legend he was. I remember this was years ago. This was after the failed Bucks tenure, which just never got off the ground. It was when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were a laughing stock for 20 straight years before Dungy got there. He gets fired. He has some health issues, including something that took away uh, the strength and power of his voice. And I remember watching an old Inside the NFL feature on him in the late 90s, and he was working at a local high school as a coach. He just seemed like such a cool, down-to-earth guy. He had a heart transplant in 2016. So obviously he went through a lot in his later years uh, before cancer. And, um, you know, it's just sad, just a, a person of my age and Greg's age and this for me is like these these guys that I grew up watching 
to, to it's one thing if we're talking about Bart's, Bart Bart Starr passing on, and you're kind of digging in the history trying to learn about it. Like I remember Weish when he was a key figure. It's sad to see. Uh, these hours, guys go hours after former NBA commissioner David Stern passes another figure from our childhood. Yes. It makes it makes you evaluate. And I think Sam, to to Greg's point about not getting the proper credit for the ideas and the innovation he brought to the league. When I talked to him, he had sort of made peace with that. That you look throughout history, and the credit doesn't go to the idea, man. It goes to the people who make the money mm. and have the victories and celebrate and stand over it. While the sounds idea familiar. man is forgotten. Mm, sounds familiar. <laughs> Subtle. Uh, sounds familiar, Dan says. Subtle Bill Walsh shade there, too. I like that. Sam Weiss, dead at the age of 74. Rest in peace. All right. That's what's happening in the news. And now back to uh, Wild Card Weekend. Let's move now to the Sunday games in the <laughs> NFC. Before we do that, I just want to let's do a little. I, do, I just want to check the temperature of the room here. Uh, we have the big four announcing teams. All in action this weekend, okay? So, of course, you have Seattle at Philly, Al, Chris, and Michelle. You have Minnesota at New Orleans, Buck, Aikman, Andrews, and Myers. You have at New England. Myers thrown in there for the Well, he's on the sideline. I got to give him the respect. Uh, Tennessee at New England, Nance, Romo, Wolfson. And then uh, Saturday at Houston, Tess, Booger, and Salters. Who's your pick of those four teams? If you have one team to call the Super Bowl, who would you pick out of, out of those four? Mark. I think Romo is the best thing going right now. Uh, but I, but the emotional side of me, and I know a lot of people don't seem to like the Buck-Troy Aikman team. I see people complaining all the time. People got to calm down about Well, that. I would just say that it's like we just talked about someone that is someone I grew up with in football. I grew up with Troy Aikman being the thing for so long, and I think he does a competent job. I, I, do I think Romo's better? Yeah. But I, for me, the emotional side is Aikman. But you're picking. That's who I'm picking. Nance, Romo, and Wolfson. No, you're yeah. picking Aikman. I thought. Who are you picking? I'm picking Aikman. The oh. Aikman team with Buck and that. Buck, Aikman, Andrews, and Myers. Yeah. All right, Wes. How about you? Well, to me, Romo ranks with John Madden as the best ever, and he is head and shoulders above anybody currently doing it. That said, Troy Aikman, I think, has improved a lot, and nobody pulls more information from the pre-production meetings than Troy Aikman and just drops little nuggets throughout the broadcast. He's really improved a lot. Good call. And I think... But you still went with Romo. Oh, yeah. Romo is just in his own league. You mean he Nance, takes- Romo, and Wolfson? Yes. Wolfson's Romo. great, too. Wolfson's got... Does for work. Nance Super is good, Bowl too. Classics. I'm going CBS. Uh, it, it's a tight one over NBC. The production at NBC is... Uh, is pretty special. Like everything along with the game. Chris, Al, everything, Michelle, like that's all great. The the production, the presentation, I love it all. But I'm with Wes in terms of Romo uh, carries a day because of him. Uh, and I think Joe Buck deserves a lot more credit than he gets. I think he's excellent at what he does, and he's gotten better. But to me, it's Al, Chris, Michelle. That's when I hear them, I'm watching a game that matters and is important. And Al, despite his advancing age, uh, he still, to me, has his fastball. Collinsworth, to me, is second to none. I like that folksy PFF vibe he's got going on. And Tafoya is knocking it out of the park on the sideline. That's my pick. That's yeah, interesting. All We're all over the place. map. Yeah. All right. Now let's get back to the game. Because it will be Buck, Aikman, Andrews, and Myers. You got Rodney picking games, too. That's a big advantage <laughs> for NBC. That's a moment each week. Give me more Rodney throwing his own son under the bus for his poor game Yeah, Matt, Matt Casey producing Football Night in America. Matty Casey. Casey. We're going to have a couple pops with Casey <laughs> in Miami is my guess. All right, let's uh, talk about the game at the Superdome. So you have 
the Vikings 10 and 6. Uh, West coming off, you know, a no show on offense against the Packers at home in week 16. They rest everyone in week 17. We had a talk in this very studio last week about, uh, you really want to rest all your guys after what you did in week 16? Well, they said, we have nothing to play for. We're locked in and we just want to get right. And you can't really argue with that either. But now they get the Saints who. Who was humming more than the Saints was? 40 points per game their last four weeks, and, and it just seems like a total team uh, uh, soaring right now. What are your thoughts on this one? If I've learned one thing from Greg Rosenthal over the last six, seven years, it's that when every single person in the football-watching world is on one team, mm. look, look out Look out for the tricks coming your way look out. and for the opposite to happen. So I'm almost like you, you prepare for this game and you just you start looking for reasons why the Vikings can compete. Because the Saints are not only the better team, they are so mentally tough. They avoid letdowns. They compete. Every, they overcome injuries to their quarterback. They overcome injuries on, on defense. They overcome a string of terrible calls that go against them. And they just stand there and take it with toughness. But I can make a case for the Vikings if you want me to. I would love to hear it. Well, the 49ers run a similar offense to the Kubiak-Stefanski offense with play action and rollouts. They dropped 48 points on the Saints a few weeks back. So they're susceptible to that offense. And while Kirk Cousins' record is terrible in primetime games, his stats are actually quite healthy in primetime games. He has a near 100 passer rating, 67 completion rate. And I think the, the the title of Cousins' memoir should probably be Numbers That Belie the Reputation. Hmm. No, that, he that rolls off the numbers. tongue. <laughs> uh, it's only I, a second playoff game. Here's where I stand on this one, Wes. Uh, and you and I have had, well, what seems like differences, but then it turns out we're maybe not so far off on Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins is in a great spot this weekend. If you want to play that game of, like, Kirk Cousins doesn't come up big when it matters most – uh, there the the Vikings can play the nobody believes in us card this week and legitimately because nobody believes in them right now and they're not nearly as bad as they looked uh in the last couple of weeks they couldn't be they couldn't be and what has happened here the deflation of their expectations combined with the Saints rising uh the way they did over the last few weeks puts put its Cousins, I feel like, in a spot where he can be loose and free and just sling it around. Well, it's not the worst matchup either against the Saints secondary that's deep, but they've been fine. They're missing two of their defensive linemen. It hasn't showed up, maybe because of the opponents, maybe just because Dennis Allen is scheming, except for against Tennessee, that this run defense especially should be vulnerable without Marcus Davenport and Sheldon Rankins. I mean, if you think back to that Minneapolis miracle game. I mean, Sheldon Rankins was wrecking shop in that game. He's no longer on their team. And the biggest thing with the Vikings is they're not the same team as they were even two weeks ago. If Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook are actually Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, it's the first time they've been on the field together since week six. This is the most balanced team that's playing this weekend. If you just look at who's in the top 10 of of DVOA, like it's the Vikings and the two teams with home field advantage. They're, they're a pretty high ceiling team, and I do think Cousins can keep up in a shootout. It's just, can the Vikings defense keep up in that's, a shootout? I, I don't know about that. Cook and Thielen, if those guys are healthy, and that's a huge well, Cook, question mark. Cook said he's a everything's strength. different. Well, you could say it, but it I, all right. Well, are. I mean, but he's and Alexander Madison is is practicing. You got your full 
backfield back. The Saints have not allowed a 100-yard rusher in 42 games, which is the longest streak mm. in the NFL. And I hear about the injury. But they struggled but, two of the last few weeks. I mean, the Titans ran on them pretty good with, without That's Derek fine, Henry. but I look at an offense that is absolutely firing all. So I'm locking the Saints up. Let's start right there. Mm. Do, you, do you know what the problem is with this Vikings team? And I've been could, saying it for a few four weeks. four or five problems with them. A defense that that is not as good as its reputation. And yes. it starts with the cornerbacks who allow a 73 percent completion rate and 110 passer rating on the season. Xavier Rhodes is having one of the worst seasons by a cornerback that Pro Football Focus has ever recorded, and the film backs it up. He looks slow. He's getting burnt every week. They, I, like, what, like this time of year, too, I mean, coaching advantages matter, and Sean Payton is at the top of the game, and Mike Zimmer to me, that's fine, but like, I, I, he, I just don't trust the Vikings to go into the into New Orleans and win this game. There's nothing about what the Saints are doing of late that suggests to me that they're going to just get dropped in this. Well, they're an example of like I think the risk of building around defense. So so many of those guys have been paid so much and they've been together so long, but if they show up in New Orleans and they can't hold them under 30, it's like what's the point? They are not the same team on defense either because it sounds like there you know there's a real chance they're going to be missing their most valuable defender I think this year, which was Eric Kendricks. And that's that's a pretty big-time injury. And you look at what the Vikings do well on defense. It's Kendricks and Barr, but it, it's really— They've got a good backup. Right. Eric Wilson, he's pretty good. It, it's, it's the guys on the edge. It's Hunter and Griffin. But they're going up against the best tackle combination in the league. I mean, Ryan Ramchick's on your all-pro team. Yes. Teron Amstead's top five left tackle, according to PFF. Eric McCoy, who came in and everyone was worried about, okay, we're going to have to replace Max Unger, has been a huge upgrade. He could have been a pro bowler. This is at least the top two or three offensive line. You don't get to keep them all together forever. And, like, this is the time for the, the Saints. I mean, Drew Brees with time and Sean Payton cooking. Because, like, you say Minnesota, you called the Vikings the most balanced team in the playoffs based on DVOA and other numbers. Ba- based other than the off, other than the home, computer it, folks. That's fine. Other than would the you, two would you call this anything advantage. less than an sh- utter shock if the Vikings won this game? I would be shocked. I would. That's why I'm locking up the Saints, too. But I, I wouldn't be surprised that if it's... If it's back and forth, it's competitive. The Saints have given up a lot of big plays in the passing game, and I do think the Vikings can be a big play type of offense. See, I could throw a Hail Mary, lock the Vikings, and have a lock off with Greg because I'm one behind him right now, but I'm going to save that Hail Mary for down the... the but you don't have to do that. You're only a game that's out. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I do. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm in a different situation. I'm two games out, and now the two guys ahead of me have both locked up the Saints. You could be in fine shape. Well, I would have locked up the Saints as well, but now from that standpoint, where does it get me? Inside you might need to make a decisive move and a memorable move. I'm going to hold for now. I have to think <laughs> about this further. We got to hold. Um, let's pick this game. I think we know kind of the direction where everyone's going, but go ahead. Uh, Saints 50, Vikings 24. Mm. Wes. Uh, my eye test says Drew Brees is an exceptionally high-functioning game manager right now. And the stats have said, I don't care about your eye test. He just broke records for December on how well he played, and they're scoring 35 points every week. I think they're going to score 35 again. <laughs> 35 has, to 17. He had something like 15 touchdowns and zero interceptions in December. I mean, if this guy's in decline, may we all be so lucky. I, I do believe that, like I said, a free and loose Vikings team that – isn't supposed to win. That will work their, to their advantage. New Orleans defense is not um, invincible. So I think there's going to be points scored in this game. But to what you were saying, Mark, can I imagine a scenario which another, this is a special Saints team, 
a one and done in their building uh, in a in an all time revenge game p- potential. <laughs> like when you factor all that in, this team to me seems destined to play championship Sunday. So how would I ever ever pick the Vikings? So I have to go with the Saints, uh, thirty eight to thirty one. Mm. Yeah, I got a thirty six twenty seven Saints. Curious to watch uh, Janoris Jenkins, who had a very good game for them uh, a week ago against the Panthers, and I think is going to be their starting corner throughout the playoffs. Eli Apple is Step hurt right still? in, and Eli Apple is hurt. Yeah. I feel bad for Mike Zimmer. He's a cornerback's connoisseur and once was caught on Mike by NFL Films saying, I could get a cover two corner anywhere. I can go down to 7-11 tomorrow and get a cover two mm. corner. Hmm. And now he's got bad corner. Not backs. the 7-11 near my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> – Let's wrap it up with the late game on Sunday. It is at the link. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, 11-5, and five, uh, just barely missed uh, winning the NFC West and the home game that would have went with that, uh, but they got stopped at the six-inch line. Remember the name, Dre Greenwood. Remember that name down the line. Uh, made the tackle. It was Dre Greenlaw. Dre, remember the name. <laughs> well, no one else corrected me. I didn't jump in to save that. So. Dre, did you know it? No. All right. <laughs> I didn't even know what you were talking about for a second. But actually, uh, no, I stand by it. I was talking about a different guy. This, you, right. They think you're talking about the, the football player. You're, who is, what is this? Uh, he's a groundskeeper <laughs> who did really good work Please and led to the Jacob Hollister losing his footing Thank you. Uh, on that play. Dre Greenlaw? Yeah. Different guy. Dre Greenlaw. Great tackle by the rookie backer. Anyway, um, the Seahawks travel to Philly because they (laughs) lost that game. They get the Eagles, an Eagles team that got hot in December to make the playoffs. But where does it lead, Greg? Where does it go? Is this an Eagles team that is a Cinderella story, or is it end this weekend? Where where are you coming from on this game? This this is the game that I've gone back and forth on the most. I think for every point you make on one team, you could come up with another. they, They both have a lot of weaknesses. I could at least make the argument that they're the two worst teams playing this weekend. I think it's at least possible. I mean, certainly two of the... Uh, of the best quarterbacks, uh, but in terms of what they're missing, that defines so much of this game. Like, are we getting the real Miles Sanders? I mean, if you're not, that's massive. I, we know they're Brian. How banged Brooks, up is Miles? Because I was he's, he's missed practice. A low grade, low ankle sprain to me doesn't sound serious, but he's missing practice. He's missing practice. I think there's some confidence he will. play. The writers seem to think he'll play, but to, to your point, to what degree? Right. And so Brandon Books is gone. They're missing seven of their 14 highest paid players. And even the the strengths that you kind of think of the Eagles having have been a little up and down. It's not like their defense has been there uh, each and every week. Whereas the Seahawks, they lose Michael Kendricks going into this. They're still without Dwayne Brown. Travis Homer is clearly the better running back and and probably will continue to get most of the carries. I mean, Marshawn Lynch isn't going to save you. And they they kind of define themselves on being a great offense for the first half of the season. They have not been a great offense the second half of the season. I would just say, like, I feel like there's, because maybe they're very banged up, there seems to be this sort of anti-Seahawks or people down on the Seahawks sentiment right now. And this is a team that beat the 49ers a month ago, nearly beat them, obviously, days ago, and closed out a win of 17-9 over the Eagles just back in late November. In that game, to me, there were a lot of big plays by Seattle in that game against the Eagles' defense. They're vulnerable. And what did the Eagles do? The hot Eagles simply mowed through a totally milquetoast NFC East. I, I get it that the Eagles are playing at the height of their powers, but th- 
this game has as many injuries by both teams as any playoff game in history, I believe it is. If, if, if Depending it on be. who plays, it could be. Week one starters, it could be the most missing of any playoff game <laughs> That's since crazy. the merger. Both teams without their leading rushers, probably, unless Sanders plays and plays well. Both teams without their best offensive tackle. Uh, the, the Eagles could be the first team without at least 50% of the receiving numbers if Ertz doesn't play. They're, this is as bad. We don't even know about Lane Johnson. I mean, that's, right. that's a huge one for them, too. It, it's outrageous. And the guys that are on the field, you're not sure. Okay, is it Jadavian Clowney that we saw against the 49ers five weeks ago? Or is it the one that we saw last week? Because he didn't do anything last week. He did not look like Jadavian Clowney. Their best pass rusher is Quentin Jefferson right now, which is, to me, a problem. And it's amazing how when Russell Wilson drops back to pass, it's never simple anymore. Every play he makes, he has to navigate inside the pocket before making it. So they, they are a team like, oh, the game's one on the trenches. Well, their trenches are terrible. They don't <laughs> In the run, trench. They don't, run, they don't rush <laughs> the passer and they don't protect <laughs> Russell Wilson. Well, you better get ready for the blitz because it's coming. Russell Wilson has been blitzed more than any quarterback in the NFL this year. Defenses think that's the way to beat him. Mm. Jim Schwartz blitzed – with eight, these two teams played in Week 12. Jim Schwartz blitzed him more than Jim Schwartz has ever blitzed any quarterback ever. It's going to happen again, so that's going to be the battle. Back to the, the injury talk. First, with Jadavian Clowney, this is his contract year. Um, he's playing under the tag this year, and he – we've talked about that he steps up, it seems, in big moments. He could – the Seahawks could really use Clowney stepping up in this game, and he could really use it in terms of a payday. And then I think the um, – the injury to Brandon Brooks kind of went under the radar a little bit in Week 17, but that is the shoulder injury that takes him out of action. He was ranked by PFF ahead of Quentin Nelson. Uh, no, I'm not saying he's a better player. At one than point, uh, but he didn't finish. finish he did, but, but at one point, he was. To, to my point, one of the best run blocking guards in the entire league, and that's like a type of position that no one really pays attention to. But a team that needs to and wants to run the ball, you take one of the best run backing blocking guards out of the mix, that's something else they have to contend with. At what point does do these subtractions eventually take out the Eagles? I'm kind of with you guys that, or some of you, that this is a tough one to pick because you can look at it and then you squint and it's a different outcome and then you take a step back and like, oh no, it goes this way. I'm way on the fence right now. And it kind of comes down to like... For, it's gonna. Doesn't this seem like it's gonna be a last drive game? One of these quarterbacks. Well, I mean, like every Seahawks game seems right. But, but yes, it does. Yeah. Like, Is and, this the brother in the NFC? Like we just we agreed before that the Bills and Texans. There's no AFC title game participant in that game. Do we feel the same? Yes. About this game in the NFC. I do, unless they got lucky and the Vikings, you know, won on. You know, earlier in the day, and then the winner is going to Green Bay, and that's a different route. But most likely, the winner here is going to San Francisco, and that would be great for Seattle. I, I lean on the fact that Seattle's been in a lot of tough games. I've picked on them for point differential throughout the year. It's like their point differential would be a lot different if they didn't have the second hardest schedule in the league, if they were playing cream puffs like the Patriots and Eagles were playing. I mean, or in the, the NFC. The Eagles are, are only in the playoffs because of their division. I mean, that is, right. that is it. They... They beat the teams in their division. They only get in because they had nine wins in their division, whereas Seattle's played good and bad teams very close. I would say this, though. It's like you, no matter what the record or how they got there, it is a huge game for the evolving story of Carson Wentz because mm. now you're here. Now you're at the place where you didn't have a chance to be because of Nick Foles. And it's not fair because the team is uh, compromised in many ways, but think about Philly media and the Philly. I have a counter to that, though. 
You don't think it's a big deal? I, I think feel like Philly he, Talk Radio, people are going to care if he wins well, this I'm game Well, I'm sure because you know? that's the way talk radio is. But, like, I feel like what he was able to do in these final four weeks and really put the team on his back, and it's a obviously, like you're saying, a limited, banged-up Eagles team, unless he totally s the bed. I would think he. I don't think he would get destroyed if they went I, one and done. I, I feel like the season, on some level, for the Eagles, it went from huge expectations to everything's lost to wow, we're in the playoffs and we won our division. It feels like they they kind of won the season, and with all the injuries, I think there's that's not much fair to say that left. Clay Carson Wentz has done a really nice job over the. I I look at the opponents over the last month too, but Carson Wentz could use a few signature wins, and beating Seattle eventually, at home would so. matter a lot. Well, I agree. Eventually, many, maybe not. We're this entering year. year four of Carson Wentz. So, or more. All right. Let's pick this game. Mark. Seattle, 29, Eagles, 16. Whoa. Not even close. I don't think it's going to lock it up. No, I already locked up. I know. You want to move off that lock and over to this lock? No, I kind of like how that played out. (laughs) Wes. Seattle, 24, (laughs) Philly, 21. Mm. I'm impressed with the way the Eagles circled the wagons and found a way to get to the dance, but I'm not impressed that they had close games against the Giants twice and the Redskins to get into the dance. I just, I just think they're playing a better opponent. And like Greg said, it'll come down to the final drive. I trust Russell Wilson with the game on the line. I'm with you. I think it's a close game. I think it's a low-scoring game. I think the Seahawks drive down the field late uh, and, and take this one on the road 16-14. to 14. I hate that I I picked the Seahawks on my game picks column. I kind of immediately changed my mind, but it feels like you can't do that. You're not allowed to change. I don't you like that we all have the Can't Seahawks. you go into the system and change can the I, All right, I'll take the Eagles on the show, the, the Seahawks in the picks. Right? Oh, don't no, do no, that. That's, that's my move. No, don't I'm kidding. That. That's not what I'm going to I'm going to stick with the Seahawks. That was, my, that was my gut pick. I just don't like that all four of us are on them. That, yeah. feels, uh, that feels ominous. There is something, and I know it doesn't – there is something to the fact that the Eagles have been great, played their best in, in the biggest game. Like guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, who's been very quiet uh, the last few weeks. Uh, you know, can they show up for one home playoff game? And just to, to button up the locks, the more I think about it, yes, there will be a time where I need to be desperate and take chances. I'm going to save that for divisional round where the games get more and more uh, toss-up. Uh, like, and I will lock up the Saints with you guys because <laughs> just give me the W. I'm going to eat the W. Or we all. I love, I'm balling right now. Anybody that's watching knows I'm balling. By the way, we all lose. Suddenly, Wes is it. Right. Or you, or you all lose. I everyone. could lose. The too. move is pick. Yeah. I've never felt more confident about a game this season. Well, how many weeks are left? Four weeks total. You have three weeks after this. So if I'm two out, two behind you, I still have time, but it gets really tricky. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't. You still have the lock trophy sitting on your desk despite having yeah. not won it outright. Uh, in eons, but a shared win I mean, a couple years ago. the year ago. before last, I won. A shared it. win. Yeah, I shared it with you. You shared but, it. Which sticks in your craw, which I love. I uh, love because because I charitably went, like I could have just taken it, like a like a, someone that really wants to take their foot and just stick it on the snake's right. neck. I could have done that, but it's like, I'm the oh, snake in this It's scenario. like, it's not good for the podcast, so we've got to go against each other. And then like, then suddenly I got a big wooden trophy. Was there a good angel and a bad angel on you when you were deciding this? I don't remember how it went, but like, I remember feeling kind of like slightly pressured into trophy. it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yes, I am the 2000. 18, 17 champion. Co-champion. Co-champion. Uh, yeah, that was the same thing. I could have picked yeah. the Patriots and tried to tie. I mean, picked against the Patriots. Last year, I flat out just dropped a bomb on you. you oh, everyone. Yeah. No, you set just the, flat out won it on You my set own. the precedent. But I do love that it sticks in your craw that you didn't win that title. Well, because so. to be the two-time outright winner, 
Like it's like there's only one wooden trophy and it's sitting on your desk and everyone walking around. No, you have a trophy too. That one's bad luck. Anyone with anyone <laughs> that one we know. But I, you won last year. I know, but I don't I don't but then you know what I do? I'm not one of the I don't collect trophies. I just stick it back. I put it this way. I stick it back in the other side of the room. It's like I'm where hungry. where are my trophies from back to back game picks when we would pick every single game for this? Is that when you killed never happened? Buy one of those too. I killed it, yeah, right. Uh Peyton Manning stressful. Steve McNair shared an MVP in two thousand four, I believe. 2003? 2003? I don't think it eats Peyton Manning alive. Nobody thinks of it that way. Well, it didn't help help McNair, so we'll see. I think 2004 was that. That's an ugly side of you coming out, Mark. I'm just saying, like, it's like it's not going to end well, probably, if we are sharing trophies from here until the end. (laughs) Okay. Now, this is what you need to know. A reminder that tomorrow, Friday, the Around the NFL TV show on NFL Network premieres 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, and then it re-airs throughout the weekend. Set your DVR, watch it, give it a shot. It's fun. It's it's not just like what we're doing here, although this is great. It's a mix of this and other stuff, and Ricky's doing a great job, and everybody uh, associated with our show behind the scenes. A lot of dancing. If you, if you like Cats, the the new movie, you'll love this. Right love, up your alley. You'll love the prosthetics that we use. Uh, we really spared no expense. And, and last but not least, we send a happy birthday out to Colleen Wolf. The history is very rich here. Connie Fox. I'm finally doing this thing. The tiny box. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) She is celebrating a birthday today. In fact, we saw her just this morning. We were doing a shoot uh, for a segment for the network show that she was nice enough on her off day. Although, you know, Connie Sneaky has a lot of off days. She came in. And uh, and helped us out uh, with the segment, so you could check out Colleen on our network show as well. So yeah, good times and exciting times in the NFL season, and for us here at the podcast. A very happy birthday! You to said her. it all. I don't know about the sneaky off days. Yeah, thing, no. but like... Oh, you know, it's not bad. It's that not bad being start Connie Fox. Next month, right? Yeah, that's the off we're, season. Uh, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. Better than us. All right, this is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss. Rick Hollywood, Ryan Bartlett, and the whole gang behind the glass. Playoff football is here till Saturday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.